You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC. And now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. Welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors, everyone. Rochelle Vanderzanden here with Corey Janoff. Hello. Hey. Today, we are going to tackle the topic of disability insurance. We've talked about this in one other episode, but it is kind of a hot topic for a lot of medical professionals. One of the most common questions that we get is, you know, do I need my own policy? Is my group coverage enough or do I need something extra that I have on my own? So we're going to talk a lot about that today. I think that we have two groups of people sometimes that come to us, people that come to us thinking and knowing already that they do need coverage and just wanting kind of help looking into some options. And there are other folks that have been bombarded with advertisements about this kind of disability insurance is the best and you need this coverage and all of those kinds of things. And I think that often devalues the coverage itself. It is a very, very valuable coverage to have, but if it seems like someone's just trying to sell you a product, then obviously you don't necessarily know what to trust and where to get good information. So Corey and I, we don't have any horses in this race or anything like that. We're just gonna give you some information today that hopefully makes helps you make some good decisions about that. We do think that disability insurance is a really important part of planning. If you need your income, you probably need disability insurance. And if you do need disability insurance, chances are the group coverage that you have is is not really going to cut it. It's not really going to protect you the way that it needs to. Agree. I guess we kind of have a horse in this race in the sense that in you know, order to do the whole financial planning thing, you need income to inject as the main ingredient to save for your goals and pay down debts and whatnot. So um, we're biased in that we, we want your income protected even if you can't work anymore. That way you can still accomplish your financial goals if the income gets shut off. So, um, But yeah, the, the short answer, and I... I think a good question with any insurance, not just disability, but with any insurance purchasing decision, ask yourself if this event happens, could it potentially ruin me or my family? And if the answer is yes, it could ruin us financially, then we should probably buy the insurance to protect against that event. So when it comes to disability, if if you got sick or injured and couldn't work anymore or for an extended period of time, would that be problematic? And if the answer is yes, not having an income for the foreseeable future or indefinitely, if that would be problematic, then yeah, we should probably protect our income um, as best as we can until we no longer need that income. Because once you no longer need your income, you're financially independent and mission accomplished and you're good. You can no longer protect it, get rid of the disability coverage. But as long as you depend on your income, super important to protect that income as best as possible so that you can still achieve your financial goals on the off chance that that income goes away due to illness or injury. Yeah, we're going to talk a lot today about what group coverage potentially offers you, and there's definitely some variability in those plans. No two plans are exactly alike, but chances are if you have some group coverage and you're in training, 
that policy protects a portion of what you're currently earning as a resident or a fellow. So maybe it's a 60% calculation. So it's 60% of your $60,000 salary and then it's probably taxable. When we think about financial planning and we think about folks in training, we're not building that long-term financial plan based on what your current income is. We're really building it around what we think your future income is going to be. And we do have some people say, if I were to become disabled now, I think I could manage it okay on my current income or you know, on a replacement value based on my current income. But we do have to think about a lot of the things that come up when we are disabled. We still need to be saving for retirement because most disability policies, they will get you to retirement age, but they will not get you beyond if you remain disabled. We likely have some increased medical expenses. You know, if we're out of work because we are disabled, that's likely something fairly serious that's going on with your health. And we don't have any medical insurance through work anymore in that scenario either. Um, we also have to cover just our regular monthly expenses. So that obviously comes out of what our, our benefit amount is. And then if you have student loans, that is a very big deal. Um, chances are, if you had a game plan for your student loans, it was based on what you're going to be making as an attending. And you probably don't have a, a good game plan to get rid of them while you're in training because trying to figure out how to pay off $200,000 a student loan with a $60,000 annual income, that's very, very challenging. So I feel like we have people that go down two routes with student loans. Some people are working towards public service loan forgiveness. Other people are planning on paying them off the old-fashioned way by just attacking them when they start that next job at that higher level of income. For public service loan forgiveness, the whole thing is that you have to be working for a qualifying employer. If you're disabled, you are not working for a qualifying employer. You can't continue to work towards that 120 payment count. So that's just not an option anymore if you're not able to work. And then on the other side, you know, if we were planning on, on starting to attack those loans with a higher level of income in the future, we're not going to have a higher level of income if we have a replacement based on what our, our salary was in training. So that group coverage, while providing some benefit, that's great. It's usually free, and that's a, a great thing to have in your plan. It's probably just not enough to really achieve all those things, the saving for retirement, accommodating medical expenses, paying back student loans. All of those things are, are going to be things that we have to figure out, even if we're disabled. Yeah, if anything, your expenses will only go up when you're disabled because you still have all your regular living expenses. I mean, sure, I guess you, you don't have to commute to work anymore, so you save a couple bucks on gas and don't have to buy scrubs anymore. But uh, but beyond that, like, you know, if you're disabled, you probably have some additional out-of-pocket medical costs, um, you know, treatments, whatever, higher, de you know, your deductible out-of-pocket expenses, the insurance doesn't cover 100% of it. Also, if you're totally disabled and can't work, your employer is not going to keep you around on the payroll. Therefore, you're going to lose your benefits at that job too, and you'll have to get health insurance uh, on you know one of the exchanges and pay for it 100% out of your own pocket. You know, I guess you potentially could have if your spouse works, you could hop on your spouse's health insurance plan. Um, but but you know if if, if not you, you lose out on the the workplace health insurance and and getting private health insurance for a disabled individual can be a little expensive, and then I think you already mentioned it, Rochelle. On top of all your regular monthly expenses, you got to factor in retirement savings as well because if you want to be able to stop working 
Um, or I guess, you know, if you, 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 you want to be able to, you know, in a normal career trajectory, stop working one day. And if you have a disability plan, um, those benefits usually end in your mid sixties. So you still have to save if, unless you plan on dying before your mid sixties, um, you know, you still have to save for your future. So, so yeah, the, the expenses are, are not going away. If anything, they're going up. So oftentimes when I'll talk to people, you say, oh, you know, I don't need to protect my full income. Our monthly expenses are only 10000 so I think I can just get by with 10000 a month of coverage. Well, wait a second. Let's make sure we add all these other variables into the equation, and lo and behold, you, you probably do need to insure your full income or almost all of it, at least initially, until you've built up a little more of a nest egg for yourself. So if you're in training... Or you know, early in practice, you know, I'm a big advocate of covering 100% of your income if you can, and and then fast forward to mid-career or later in your career if you've saved up a, a larger, um, if you've built up your assets and you're trending in the right direction towards financial independence, all right, now we could maybe reduce or even get rid of our disability insurance altogether. Yep. And as a trainee, you can actually insure more than what your your take home actually is. So most folks as a, as trainees can qualify for a $5,000 per month benefit. Some carriers will even do a little bit more. And it's a non-taxable benefit. So that's $5,000 that hits your bank account every month that you don't pay taxes on. That's more than a lot of folks make as trainees. And it can be layered on top of your group policies. So you can potentially qualify for a group benefit and also receive that individual benefit. So it doesn't necessarily protect what we expect your full attending income to be, but it gets you a little bit closer. And I think that's really ideal, like protecting a little bit more of what that income we expect it to be in the future. And really quick, going back to the expenses side of things on the student loans, those don't go away if you get disabled. You know, some of you may have read that, that student loans are forgiven for disability. Um, you have to be totally disabled uh, with either expected to pass away within 12 months or have zero chance of recovery. So they basically follow Social Security's definition of disability. So you got to be in really bad shape, you know, not just unable to be a physician, but like unable to do anything, period, in order to get those student loans forgiven. And that's only federal loans, too. Like, so if you have private loans, that doesn't even apply. But with federal loans, they can potentially be forgiven if you meet that higher level definition of disability. Yep. And some private lenders will follow the same rules from that standpoint, but you have to check it's case by case. But yeah, the federal loans, they pretty much follow you to the grave. Um, you know, there's a very slim chance that you can get out of those due to a disability. So you got to, you know, be prepared to continue paying those if you're disabled. Absolutely. I think the second question we get a lot is when to get it. So a lot of people understand that they should get it during training. There are discounts associated with most training institutions. So if you can get it while you're in training, it will cost less too. But I feel like the earlier you can get it, the better. Like the second you start training, ideally we get one of these policies locked in place. And I think a lot of folks, they feel young, they feel invincible, they don't feel like they're going to get hurt or injured, like the, the like disability is not on their radar. And I feel like that's very common, that's normal to feel like it's just not going to happen to you, especially anytime soon. Um, the expectation is that 
you know, maybe we have a better chance of winning the lottery than going on disability claim. But in truth, it's more like one in four young workers will go on a long-term disability claim at some point before the end of their career. So again, it doesn't necessarily mean that that happens while you're in training. The bigger things that can potentially happen in your training years is that maybe you have something that pops up with your health. And most of the time when you're looking at individual disability coverage, you have to go through some sort of medical screening. You have to answer questions about the certain, like the, the current state of your health, your age, all of that kind of stuff. If there's anything that they're concerned about, let's say you have like a knee injury and it still has some issues, so you see a physical therapist once in a while, they're not going to cover that knee. So if that becomes more severe in the future, your disability insurance is not going to protect that knee. If you have more serious things going on with your health, if you have some sort of chronic diagnosis, maybe like rheumatoid arthritis or MS or something like that, which can absolutely come up and be diagnosed during those years, a lot of times carriers won't even offer you coverage because at that point, it looks like you're likely going to need to go on claim at some point, so they're not willing to take on that risk. There are a few plans out there where you can potentially secure them without having to do that medical underwriting. They're called guaranteed standard issue plans. They're not available to everyone. They're actually specific to certain training institutions. Most of the time, like um, your program coordinators and things like that might know about that. So it's worth asking if you do have any sort of current health conditions that you're concerned about. Definitely worth looking into first before you go to a different carrier where you have to do medical underwriting. Because if anything pops up, on that application that that's concerning or if you get declined for coverage you can't then go back and get that guaranteed standard issue coverage that one's a little bit more complicated Corey, do you have anything to add there um not really it's yeah like you said they're they're more few and far between certain institutions have them um you know feel free to reach out to us if you need some direction uh, or if you need clarification if you're at a if you're in residency or fellowship, if your institution offers it, we have a list of some of them, not all of them, and they sometimes change, you know, come in and go out from year to year. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the big thing is if, if you have some medical issues, those are a great option to look at. But if you've been declined for on a disability application, you can't get them. So if you do have a medical history, maybe proceed cautiously before applying for disability insurance um, because you, we might want to look and see if you have one of those guaranteed issue options available at your institution first. Uh, but this gets back to why the sooner the better you can apply. You know, Get your coverage before you develop the medical history. You just never know what could come up? What could happen? You're healthy one day and then you start feeling not so great and you go to the doctor and they find something wrong with you. Now you've got a red flag in your medical file that a disability insurance company is not going to like and you potentially could either not qualify for coverage or have some exclusions for the thing that is most likely going to be an issue. So yeah, I mean, day one of, of residency or intern year or heck, even um, the the spring of your final year in med school for any any med students listening to this you know lock it in once you know where you're matching let's let's lock in some disability insurance and get it as, as soon as possible I'd say about half of the applications that we 
submit for people have some sort of exclusion on them. Like it's Mm -hmm. probably like 50% have some sort of like, hey, this is in your medical record. We're concerned that this might be an issue for your long term. We're not going to cover that. The less of those you have on your policy, the stronger your policy is and the more protected you are. Yeah, pretty much anything in your medical file that could raise an eyebrow, the insurance company is likely not going to want to cover it. Um, now, for certain things, like you gave the knee example earlier, if you, you know, had you know something wrong with your knee and you've fully recovered from it and it's been you know a handful of years and everything is fine, then yeah, maybe your knee will be covered. Um, but if it's anything that either hasn't fully recovered or anything that could potentially have longer lasting effects, um, you know, that, that could potentially impact your job, there, there's a good chance that that a claim due to that specific thing will be excluded on the policy. So yeah, the sooner you can get it, the better. Um, and yeah, just can't stress it enough, <laughs> the importance of protecting that income. Yeah. And even if you have some sort of issue in your medical records already, it's still worth looking into because other stuff can come up. So we'd rather we have one exclusion for your knee than like one exclusion for your knee and another exclusion for your shoulder or something like that. The other thing is that if it is a temporary issue and you end up having an exclusion on your policy, you can potentially revisit that in the future. So going back to the same knee example, let's say it's still bothering you when you apply for coverage, but two years later, it's totally fine. You haven't had any issues. You can go back to the company and go through medical underwriting again and say, hey, can we have this exclusion removed from my policy? And it's up to their discretion. They can decide if they're concerned about it or not at that point in time, but they can potentially have it removed. So you can kind of lock that policy in with the ability to revisit some of the, the more minor issues on the policy. I think one of the most common ones is pregnancy exclusions for women. If you apply for a policy while you're pregnant or if you're taking like fertility treatments or whatever, um, odds are they'll slap a policy exclusion for pregnancy and childbirth on the policy. Um, But if you have a a healthy delivery and there weren't any complications, then um, odds are you can get that policy exclusion removed so that future um, pregnancies and childbirths will be covered, but something to be mindful of for all the ladies out there. If, uh, it's best to, to get a policy before you start a family rather than waiting until you're, uh, partway through that, um, process. Absolutely. I do have once in a while people ask me if they need coverage just because their specialty or whatever it is, is not very physically demanding. So most of the time, you know, when the surgeons come to us, they they understand they need disability insurance. If anything happens to their hand, if they have a minor injury that makes it more difficult for them to function in the workplace, that's going to be a huge issue. But most of the time when you see disability claims, they're not related to injuries. They're often related to illnesses or chronic conditions like chronic back pain, things like that. And those can affect anyone. It's not just the surgeons. It's the radiologists. It's you know, internal med doctors, it's psychiatrists, anyone can be affected by those kinds of things. So I don't think it really matters what your specialty is. Um, It probably is more important if you're a surgeon and you're more likely to go on claim because there's more likely things that can affect you, which also affects the cost. But I think that it's really important for everyone to protect your income from all of those types of things that can come up. 
Yeah, anything that impairs your ability to see, speak, hear, think, write, or type, like any of that, I mean, we all do that no matter what your specialty is. You, you, you know, you need those basic cognitive functions, and um, you know, if you can't do those things, that, that could be problematic for you. So there's a lot that even for, like, the radiologists or psychiatrists or... You know, if you don't really have a physically demanding job, heck, you might just be doing telemedicine at this point. But if you can't work your computer, can't hear, can't speak, can't see, like, you know, that's a disability. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. With group disability insurance, um, I think we've already talked about as a trainee, like it's based on a percentage of what your income is now. But there's also some other pitfalls with group disability insurance that we just wanted to touch on briefly. Um, one thing is that even as an attending, sure, it's a, it's a function of what your current income is, but the benefit calculation varies widely across different group policies, and every group policy is different from one employer to the next. Most of the time, it's structured as a percentage of what your income is, but often there's a cap. So if it's a percent, 60% of your income, but only up to $10,000, you know, that's $120,000 of gross income per year. Like, you likely make much more than that as an attending, or very likely could. So if there's a cap involved, it could also leave you with a pretty big gap in coverage. So a portion of your income that's still not protected as an attending when you have a group disability insurance policy. The other thing is that if your employer provides that coverage and pays for that coverage, that benefit is taxable. So if it's 60% and that's what you get, but then you also have taxes paid out of that, then maybe it's more like 45% of what you were making before. So you can you can have a pretty big gap in like what is not covered as a portion of your income. Yeah, I think a lot of people just look at, oh, I've got 60% of my earnings at work covered. I'm good, you know, it covers my expenses. But again, going back to the, let's really add things all up. And, you know, if it's the employer's, um, policy most likely it's a taxable benefit also the you don't have control over your group coverage the employer can cancel the plan change it modify it the insurance company could cancel change modify it at any point in time for better or for worse you know it could go you know it could be a more advantageous plan in the future but like you don't have control over that if you leave the employer the group plan doesn't follow you. You're just reliant on whatever the next employer offers. Some group plans are portable where you can take them with you, but you know it's more of a, a slimmed down version of the policy typically, and you have to pay the full cost for it. So it's um, and 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 usually group plans aren't that robust. Like there's a reason. If you're, you know, for example, if you're at a hospital, everyone at the hospital has the same policy. All the young, healthy people get the same coverage as the old, unhealthy people. The insurance companies are aware of this. They understand there are some at-risk individuals that they are insuring. So they really limit the benefit amounts, limit the features, add exclusions. Um, you know, it, it's not a, it's it's typically you know, not super comprehensive. Some groups have, have better plans than others. You know, there definitely are some group plans that we'll read through and say, okay, this is actually a pretty decent policy. But the majority of them are pretty um, lackluster. You know, I think a couple of the big things and the devil's in the details, like read through the actual policy contract, not just the one sentence benefit summary 
that shows up on uh, on your benefit summary page that says, oh, 60% of your income up to 10000 a month. No, let's actually read through all the verbiage in the contract and see what's provided because that's... Um, you know, that's 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 the insurance you know that's the contract you know what's all what's what's in there what's actually covered i think one of the big things is the definition of disability you know i, I think we've done a we've talked about it before but own occupation disability insurance is key and a lot of you have heard of that or specialty specific disability insurance that more or less says if you can't do your specific job you're getting paid doesn't matter if you could do another job or even another specialty in medicine. As long as you can't do your job, you're considered disabled. And you know, a lot of group plans might start out as an own occupation, but we commonly will see it's you know own occupation. If you can't do your job, we'll pay you for 24 months. After two years, though, if you can do anything in the national economy, you know, sweep floors, flip burgers, greet people at Walmart, lick stamps, you know, go get a job at the post office licking stamps. You're not disabled anymore. You could go work elsewhere. You're off the benefits. Um, you know, a little extreme, of course, but you know, that it, it you know, we, we often will see that it's not everyone, uh, every group plan, but some of them will, will have that switch after two years. And, um, you know, also a lot, some plans will have exclusions and exclude certain types of disabilities. You know, and here's one, that uh, I have a client that works at this institution. I won't name names or insurance companies, but but I'll just read directly from the policy contract. It says, you know, total disability means that result of injury or sickness um, during the first 24 months, uh, if you cannot perform the substantial and material duties of your regular occupation, you're considered disabled. They go on to define regular occupation as your occupation in the national economy, not what your specific duties are at your employer. So if you're, you know if you're doing some unique things or procedures, you know that may not be covered. If you could work as a general surgeon or an anesthesiologist or whatever in the national economy, um, there's some other convoluted language here. But skipping down here, after 24 months, if you cannot perform the duties of any occupation, we will consider you disabled. And then, so, you know, classic example, first two years, you're covered after two years. If you still can't do your specific job, we'll look at, can you do anything out there? Um, if so, you're not receiving benefits anymore. And then later on in the contract, they have a bunch of exclusions. I'll summarize and, sk and skip over some, but um, monthly benefits will be limited to a total of 24 months for any disabilities caused by chronic fatigue syndrome, environmental allergic or reactive illnesses, self-reported conditions like fatigue or pain, things like that. Also, this one's huge. Monthly benefits will be limited to a total of 24 months for occurrence for all disabilities caused by musculoskeletal and connective tissue disorders of the neck and back and yada yada yada. Um, so you know, there, there's a number of, in addition to you know limiting benefits for your occupation, doesn't matter what the you know what the occupation is that you potentially could do. Um, if it's due to a musculoskeletal disorder, which is the most common cause of disabilities, it's it's going to be limited to 24 months regardless. 
Um, so, you know, again, the devil's in the details. Read through the policy language to see how strong the coverage actually is um, before relying too heavily on that group contract. And when you're looking at prospective employers, when you're getting to that point where you're you're doing a job search, if they will give you benefits information, get as much as you can from them. Because that helps you kind of understand what are they paying for, what may I be responsible for out of pocket. And, you know, there's some math you can do there. If you're comparing a couple of different jobs and one of them has more comprehensive insurance and benefits options, that has some real economic value because that's money that's not coming out of your pocket. Yeah. And there's a few other features that you may or may not have on your group policy that can be on individual policies. There's one that's called a residual benefit, which is basically like a partial benefit. So if you are ill or you have some sort of chronic injury, but you can do your job like half time and you just can't do it full time. Most individual policies will pay you a proportional amount of your benefit. So 50% of lost income, lost time at work, you get a 50% benefit. Sometimes group policies have that, sometimes they don't. Uh, And then on the flip side, there's also a recovery benefit that many individual policies have where let's say you've recovered from your disability and you're returning to work, but there's not the same level of work available to you. And so now you still have reduced income not because you're disabled, but because it's just going to take a little while to build your work back up. So many, again, individual disability policies will pay you that proportional benefit amount. So you're back to work, you're making 75% of what you were before. It might take you a few months to get back up to 100%, so they're going to pay you 25% of what that benefit was. And most group policies do not have a benefit like that. And I think it's important to note that with long-term disabilities, Many people think of it as a career-ending injury, and it's not all the time. It can be something where you're off of work for like a couple years, three years, four years, five years, and then you get to the point where you've recovered, you feel like you can get back to work, and so some of these other benefits become really important to help you, you know, get back to work in a way where you're not necessarily losing income in the meantime. Yeah, you know, maybe you're diagnosed with cancer, you're going through chemo, radiation, whatever, and you're just not at full speed for a year or two while you're battling it, but then you go into remission, you recover, you're back at work, you know, and now you're you're good to go. Um, knock on wood. But uh, but yeah, anything that limits your ability to work at full capacity could potentially be considered a disability if it's a well structured policy. So there's a lot of things that. Um, you know, like you said, Rochelle, most most disabilities aren't, well, that's it. Guess I'm never working again. It's, it's usually you either recover from them or unfortunately they get the best of you within a, a few years if it's something pretty, um, you know, terminal. But uh, but yeah, a lot of a lot of disabilities you can recover from. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the biggest hurdles for people, obviously, is the cost. You know, if you're going to get some individual disability insurance, you're going to be paying for it out of pocket. And that can seem like a big hurdle. It's not cheap normally, I would say. Um, It kind of depends on your gender, your age, your occupation. Like, what is it that you do? If If you're a surgeon, the cost is going to be higher than it is for an internal medicine doctor because you're more likely to go on claim. You're more likely to not be able to do your own occupation. Costs are also higher generally for women. Um, with some very, very limited offerings of, of some 
more like gender neutral pricing policies, most of the time women pay a, a good chunk more for disability insurance. But all of that is related to statistics. If you're paying more, it's because you're more likely to go on claim, which means you also probably need that coverage a little bit more. So it might feel like the cost of the insurance itself is expensive, but the cost of not having income is also very, very expensive. Like, you know, if we're trying to live on that little small group policy or, or, or whatever it is, like that's going to have a bigger impact on your financial plan than paying for disability insurance when it's a little bit uncomfortable in the budget. Um, I think a couple of things there, you do want to make sure you're shopping around. Like there are some pretty big variations in cost between different carriers. So you want to find the carrier that, that fits you, that like provides the coverage that you need, but also that is hopefully a bit cost competitive and, and maybe it's not the most expensive product out there. That's not always the best fit. Like it may be the plan that has all the bells and whistles, but you may not need the plan that has all the bells and whistles. You can definitely customize things to fit your needs. Um, while you're in training, there's also one other feature that we usually look for in policies. It's something called a future increase option. So you lock in a policy that costs a little bit less, that has a little bit smaller benefit while you're in training, but then there's a pool of money that you can access in the future when your income increases, and then you can increase your coverage and then pay a higher cost at that point because now we have more coverage. So it allows you to lock in a smaller policy, not pay quite as much right now, but also have an ability to, to grow that policy as your income and as your career grows. And the key is you don't have to go through medical underwriting to increase that coverage. So regardless of any changes in health along the way, as long as your income is higher, they'll let you bump up your coverage, no questions asked. Yeah, I think it's it's a matter of thinking of it as you're paying like a small portion of your current income to make sure that your future income is more secure. So if we think about having a $200,000 per year salary, you, let's say your employer offers you $200,000 of salary or they offer you $198,000 of salary. And at the $198,000 salary level, you're guaranteed that even if something happens to you, you keep getting that or you keep getting the, the take home value of what that is. So, I mean, for me, I would absolutely take $2,000 less per year to know that if something bad happened, I still get my income. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, it's not cheap. A lot of people who haven't, aren't familiar with disability insurance get sticker shock when they see the prices. But, you know, like you said, Rochelle, you know, take a you know, a slight pay cut. And even if it's more than 2000, say, you, you know, your option one is 200,000 a year from the employer, but if you can't come to work, you're off the payroll. Option two is 190,000 a year from the employer. But if you're off the payroll due to injury or, or if you can't come to work due to injury or illness, they'll still pay you 190,000 a year. I mean, heck I'd take that. Sign me up, you know, 10,000 a year would be a pretty extreme price for protecting 200,000 of income, but still, probably worth it. I mean, you, you look at look at what the insurance company is offering. You know, if you have an inflation adjusted benefit on your policy, they're willing to cover millions of dollars of income over the course of your career at a cost to what, a few thousand dollars a, a year for you. So, you know, sure we we might spend a few thousand dollars a year on our coverage in return for covering, you know, potentially millions of dollars if we can't work for the rest of our career. So yes, it's expensive to get, but it's also, you know, a large benefit that you're signing up for. If you look at, you know, 
pound for pound, you're probably paying more money for your car insurance or your home insurance, you know, and if your home burns down, yeah, of course we want a new one, but the benefit is limited to whatever your home's worth, you know, or maybe not even that much, just the replacement cost of construction. So you might have a, you might be paying a couple thousand dollars a year for a policy that covers a $500,000 home, you know, where you could potentially be paying a couple thousand a year for a policy that covers, you know, several million of, of earnings over the course of your career or more. So it's, uh, it's all relative, of course. Um, you know, and it, it kind of gets back to that initial question. If, if the thing happens to you, would it ruin you financially? And if the, if the income goes away, would that be problematic? Um, yeah, you could almost make an argument that that disability insurance is a bargain when you think about it. So, uh, but but definitely an important one. Yes, it's expensive, but uh, but rightfully so. Your income is probably the most important thing um, from a financial perspective in order to achieve your financial goals, pay off debt, save for retirement, send the kids to college, etc. Whatever you're hoping to accomplish, we need that income. So it's important to protect that income as best as possible while you still depend on it. And then once you no longer need it, then we're good. Cancel it. Hopefully we get rid of our disability insurance before we retire because we've reached financial independence. That'll be a great day to celebrate. Absolutely. That was one last thing I was going to say. You know, you can put that question on its flip side. Do I need my income? If the answer is no, and you've gotten to that point where you don't need it anymore, there is nothing tying you to those policies long term. You have them as long as you need them, and then you get rid of them. And that's it. Um, And for some people, that comes sooner than later. For other people, you kind of need it the rest of your career, and that's okay, too. Yeah, a lot to unpack with disability insurance and, and dive into. You know, this is kind of the the broad overview of some things to be mindful of, uh, but feel free to reach out if you have more specific questions or need some direction on which companies to look at. Like Rochelle mentioned, there's no one company that's the best for everyone. If you're talking to an insurance agent that says this company's the best, you have to go with them. It's probably because they work for that company, just a guess. Um, <laughs> but there's usually, you know, there there are depending on what state you live in, five or six companies that offer the true specialty-specific own occupation definition of disability. Some companies out there say that they do, but they don't really. Again, devil's in the details. Read the contract. Um, And for any given person, there's usually two or three that are pretty competitive, and it kind of depends on what features you're looking for or what's important to you. So, um, Absolutely. Anything else you can think of, Rochelle? No, I think that's about it. This really is an important one. So if you haven't taken care of it already, we definitely would suggest looking into it. Yes. All right. Have a good one. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance, or on Instagram, Vanderzanden Rochelle, or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanden. Check out all of the podcast episodes on thefinitygroup.com slash podcast, on our Finity Group YouTube channel, or your favorite podcast app. 
And don't forget to check out our Financial Clarity blog at thefinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Finity Group, LLC. 